You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. You're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World Podcast. Sit back and relax. Everything's going to be cool. Hey, everybody. Um, you know, I, I had originally created a completely different intro to uh, today's show, but um, I can't help but ha- tell you that, you know, probably like yourself, my heart is very heavy today um, with everything that's been going on uh, in the world, um, Las Vegas. Uh, it's just, it's just, it doesn't make sense, and these things keep happening happening over and over again. Um, I'm not going to politicize this. I, I, again, you know, like yourself, I, I think we are all kind of shocked and and really depressed about all this. Um, only thing that I would ask you today is, you know, today of all days, uh, you know, be a little mindful about other people and, you know, you may have this impulse to, to tweet something. Don't do it. You know, just, just think about, think about trying to do some good in this world. Uh, that, that really should be your default. Look, I I know that... (laughs) You listen to this podcast because it's uh, maybe a little insightful, but really, it's just it's just a silly thing, and I hope it does distract you from all the fucked up things that are going on. Uh, and obviously, you all know that I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. Uh, man, that that one really sucks. Um, you know. When celebrities pass, it, it, it affects us because they're our heroes. And this one really affects me a great deal because uh, I admire uh, Tom Petty as an artist so much. Um, it's a bummer. Uh, the whole thing's a bummer. Um, but again, you know, you, you listen to this show because it's, it's uh, a bit of escapism, uh, a bit of silliness. And uh, so we're going to move forward. And that's what, um, you know, that's what it's really about. And to remind you that some silliness, some humor is maybe some some good medicine for all of us. This is part two of our uh, deep dive into the year 1987. Uh, Part two is about uh, music and uh, movie box office and TV shows. Uh, a lot of uh, the overwhelming uh, thing that I really found out was uh, so much comedies uh, in 87. You had like Mannequin and, uh, you know, Growing Pains and Cosby Show were number one. And uh, it's a different, <laughs> different era then. But uh, maybe when you listen to this, you'll uh, kind of recalibrate and. Uh, Look, the whole point of this show is to really get you thinking about some other things, maybe remind you of some things, and ultimately, just to make you feel a little bit better about your the world and ultimately yourself. Um, so with that being said, adjust your earbuds. Uh, you know, if you're on your treadmill, uh, you know, 
go go steady. If you're in your car, be a little bit more mindful today about the driver next to you or in front of you. Um, so without further, I'm doing this again with uh, with Jason Simons, who I did part one with. Uh, you know what's funny is uh, I had to research all this stuff, and he, and he just remembers it. So um, couldn't think of a better person to do this with. Uh, without further delay, uh, 1987 Part Two. Here, uh, welcome back. Uh, you, this is part two of our deep dive into 1987. Um, I want to dance with somebody uh, was uh, the fourth most popular song of 1984. Whitney Houston also had 87. Uh, didn't we almost have it all? Which uh, was the number 22 of the uh, most the highest selling uh, songs of 1987. Uh, from my personal recollection, she dominated in 87. Um, there, the thing about 87's music, it was so eclectic. Uh, I'm just going to give you a rundown, a quick rundown uh, of some of the artists uh, of Billboard 100 uh, that dominated 87. U2, Genesis, George Michael, Richard Marks, Huey Lewis, Fleetwood Mac, White Snake, Robbie Neville, Starship, and of course Whitney Houston. Um, Jason, your thought, your general thoughts on uh, the music scene of 1987. One of my favorite years in music. Um, recently, I was listening to a podcast, the um, Billboard Magazine podcast, and they actually did a retrospective on August 29th, 1987, and they ran down the whole top 40 of that week and played like a. Like, like a segment of every song that was on the top 40 and talked about them. I don't think there was one song I disliked of that, that whole chart, that, the whole, that whole countdown. Every song I was like, wow, I haven't heard this in a long time, or this is great, or this is... It just was a fun time in music. It was, inter- it was, a, it was an enjoyable time. The, 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 most, the, the biggest hit of the year was the Bangles' Walk Like an Egyptian. Number two was Hearts Alone. Oh, yeah, monster hits. Monster hits and and sung by two females. So yeah, hey, it's no the females definitely had a great year that year. You had two new acts that came out were Tiffany and Debbie Gibson, both premiered and 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 both cleaned up the charts. Uh, eighty seven. That was uh, that was. Pre- what programs were on MTV? Was that still... Did they have Total Request Live yet? Or was that no. still Club MTV? MTV was, was still mostly music videos at that point. 
they were just starting to head into their change in format. Um, what was it? They had remote control. They had that game show that they premiered that uh-huh. year. And um, as far as I know, they really didn't have much else. They were still mostly running videos at that point. Um, aside from uh, Whitney Houston and Hard and, and, uh, and the Bangles, um, another, well, a female contributing to the song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship oh. was the fifth most popular song in terms of sales of 1987. Yeah. That was a big one from Mannequin. Yes. <laughs> Which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, was that their biggest hit? Starship's biggest hit? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, We Built the City and that one were there. What years We Built the City? 85. Okay. Oh, Sarah, too. Those were like their big... They, 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 basically, they had number ones with all three songs. Wow. But it seems to me, like, 87's music seems to me like uh, just almost like a, 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 a hodgepodge of, like, turning turning the dial of a radio where you can watch just a, a kaleidoscope of different types of music. Um, well, that was, you know, that stuck out for me when I was talking about before about that August 8th, August 29th episode of the, the Billboard podcast where they played the, the top 40 from that that from that week there was so much eclecticism there was so much different stuff I mean everything there was there were many I mean, you wouldn't find that now in what's current top 40 it just was there were so many genres represented it was great it was like what? and I can remember being a kid I actually and I would never listen to top, the regular top 40 station now I can remember listening to top 40 back then and it just was fun to listen to. You didn't know what was coming up next, and there were a lot of great stuff out there. There was just a lot of great songs. Yeah. Uh, was did MTV have Club MTV? Yeah, that premiered in '87. Um, I remember. Yeah, you had dance music. You had all. That's the thing too. I mean, I don't want to sound like a like a a, a bitter old man, but that's the thing that's missing of music now. And and this is kind of like a, a real. Shining example, uh, uh, you know, 1987. You you have such an eclectic group of music. Uh, number six, Robbie Neville, "Say La Vie," oh, which yeah, I, I found yeah. kind of annoying when it happened, but I, I recognize it's a pretty good song. Yeah. Um, seven, "White Snakes," "Here I Go Again," which was obviously one of my favorite songs of all time. But again, look, you have look look. I mean, just the, the songs that I just described: Starship, Robbie Neville, White Snake, Whitney Houston, Heart, Bangles. That's your top seven of that year. That's amazing. Well, metal, heavy metal was huge that year. That was really the peak of heavy metal as a commercial format. You well, that was the year of Bon Jovi, right? You had Bon Jovi. You had Motley Crue with Girls, Girls, Girls. You had the the Poison album. Uh, Look what the cat dragged in, which came out the year before, but really commercially was was took off in '87. You had um, uh, Ozzy Osbourne with uh, the, the the Randy Rhodes tribute, and, and all. I mean, you just had so much stuff coming out in '87 in just metal alone. And then you had R and B. You had like you, know, you, you had so many hit acts in R and B. Gerald Levert. Gerald Levert. You had Freddie Jackson. You had you, just. 
there was so much there. Whitney Houston was huge at that point. Well, she crossed over. I mean, she she went beyond R and B. I mean, she was pop and R and B. But you had so many acts that were just on on on, on a big level. I remember, even though the album was '86, I can remember even VH1 was was all over Luther Vandross. Uh, give me the, the 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 give me the reason album. They're playing "Stop the Love" all the time in that in, in that summer of '87. Uh, Keith Sweat have anything in '87? Was he was he a later in the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I want her. Just came out and at towards the end of the year. And the New Jack Swing. That was really like the beginning of the New Jack Swing. Uh, any kind of like har- harmony kind of groups like New Edition or anything like that. Uh, New Edition had an album in '87. They had that um, under the under the red under the cherry moon. Or what, what oh was yeah, that was kind of like a yeah. covers album. Um, but that was had, before their their big their uh, heartbreak came yeah. in '88. But they had um, what was that song? They 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 did have a single off that. that uh, Earth Angel. They Earth yeah, from the Credit Kid too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was '86 really, but. But uh, that kind of transcended into '87. But I also so that was also the year of to the Joshua Tree. The Joshua Tree dominated a good part of that year. Yeah, absolutely. What were your initial thoughts of the Joshua Tree? I wasn't that. Imp- I, I I didn't. Pay yeah, much. I was like, who is this pretentious fuck? I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't pay much attention. Like you two exploded. They were huge. I didn't pay much attention to them. I. I guess I didn't mind with or without you, and I, I didn't mind. I still haven't found what you were looking for, but I didn't pay much attention to them. I, I they they were looking on that top forty list. They were the the last things I was listening to at that point. I did get into you two later, um, and 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 now going back, I, I in my opinion, in my humble opinion, Joshua Tree is the best thing they ever did. That that album clicked with me, but it clicked with me years later. And it's funny, I, I really believe that as a band, they, they really are trying to get back to that. And they can't, because that's like lightning in a bottle. And they're, different place, they're in a different place in their lives and as a band. And sure, they're, they're touring, the Joshua Tree tour or whatever. But yeah, whatever. I mean, that's... But you're right, I, there's not a bad song on that album. That's a perfect album. They, they nailed it. And I wish I had gotten into it back then, but I didn't. I, I wasn't listening to them. They were... Well... They, I mean, to your point, it was kind of like it was like, I mean, MTV was really the, yeah, the major like, outlet. I, I can remember, I can remember sitting and watching MTV that summer. I watched a lot of. I would watch MTV all day. So, as soon as I saw that beginning to the "With or Without You" video, yeah. I would turn the channel. You know what's weird? That was the lead <laughs> single, which was kind yeah. of weird. Yeah. And I remember it slowly started. You had Bono with his hair pulled back in a bun, yeah. and he looks. I'm like, fuck this guy. I did like the uh, you know the, the others you know where the streets have no name and you know the, I thought those were those are good and decent but I, I didn't really get into like you know like yourself I didn't get into them until a little bit later yeah. um, I was definitely more into like White Snake and I don't think yeah oh, absolutely um, Genesis uh, was, Genesis was still running high with uh, Invisible Touch which came out in 86 which also but, but, comment, but, commented very heavily on, on Ronald Reagan yeah um, what was, that the was one what was the, the video when they had the puppets yeah that was uh, Land of Confusion yeah 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 so for folks that are diving into this is part two if you want to dive in we, we comment we, we talk about Ronald Reagan and his impact in 1987 part one you can go back and listen to that but 
Anyway, so yeah, we're we're. I remember Jensen's. actually they had the MTV Music Video Awards that year, probably the only year I ever really watched it, and that was the year that I actually I I actually they had a they had a uh, one of those phone numbers you know you, you, you get charged like a dollar to vote, and and you 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 could vote on on your pick for the video of the year. And I called multiple times. I think I got in trouble for that. I called multiple times for Land of Confusion to win. Did it win? It didn't win, right? It didn't win. Who won? It was Peter Gabriel with... Uh, big Time. Uh, it was either Big Time or... or um, Sledgehammer. Yeah, Sledgehammer. One, no. one of those two. Well, I know Big Time made the 87 list. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess... I think Sledgehammer was released before in 86. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that would make sense. It probably was Big Time. George Michael was also big in 87. He came, um, yeah, uh, I Want Your Sex was one of the big summer singles. That was part of the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. And then... It uh, was? Yeah. I Want was, Your Sex is on Beverly Hills Cop 2? It was, it was, it was part of the Beverly Hills. Wow. It was, it was originally released as part of the, Be- well, he had an interesting year. Because at the beginning of the year, he had that uh, duet with Aretha Franklin, I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. Yeah. That was a number one hit. So that sort of launched him. And then in the summer, Beverly Hills Cop 2 came out. And that was like the... Well, I'm sure we'll discuss that when we discuss the movies. But that was the big summer movie. That's, that song, I Want Your Sex, was from that soundtrack. And then that was a launching what, pad. Is it in the movie? It's in the movie. Yeah, it's what the movie. part? Uh, when they go in the strip club. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And... and um, in the fall, Faith came out. Right. And then that was... That Is was Faith a bigger single than I Want Your Sex? Interestingly enough, um, yeah, Faith was a really big single, but, but Faith went to number one, I Want Your Sex went to number two. But I Want Your Sex, I just remember being all over the place that summer. It actually didn't make it to number one, only because some, there were a couple radio stations that wouldn't play it. Oh, because it was kind of, you know, the, the, I remember the, the video too. Like there was like some bullshit. Yeah, like, a girl, that, that Asian girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but that that was. I mean, when I think of that summer, besides like Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. That's the song I or I think. Oh about. yeah, no, I I was pretty open about. Now I didn't like "I Want Your Sex." I I didn't like that song, but I thought Faith was. I thought Faith was a, like a legit good song. Well, it's a great album, and and then after that, he had a r- nice run of, of huge. No, I'm hits. talking about me in 1987, yeah. okay. which I'm like a real shithead. <laughs> but, you know, listening to White Snake over and over again. But I would tell my friends, I'm like, I, like oh my god, you listen to George Michael, you fucking faggot. I'm like, well, I, I would defend. Him. I was like, look, I, I like this. You got to give this song a chance. This song is good. Oh, look, the album cover. He's like sniffing his armpit. He's a fucking faggot. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, that that was pretty much his year, right? Eighty seven. Well, eighty eight was really the the culmination of of that album. Most of the singles were in eighty eight because you had Father Figure and all that stuff. Right. So eighty eight was when that album was really dominant, and yeah, that was his his, his peak. Uh, Richard Marx was also big in eighty seven. Um, were you were you personally invested in Richard Marx in '87? I actually almost consider myself as having discovered Richard Marx because <laughs> I remember in the summer of '87, uh, in the summer of '87, MTV used to start playing uh, "Don't Mean Nothing." That was his first single, 
And he was an unknown act. I mean, he, if, if I read up on the music industry, I would have known he was a backup singer for Chicago. He'd written a few songs. He'd written with Lionel Richie. He, he'd actually been around. But he was, all of a sudden there's this, this black and white video was coming on MTV and they didn't play it in their main, their main time slot in the summer, in, in the early part, they were in the peak of the summer. They just sort of, there it was, it was Don't Mean Nothing. It was a great video with um, um, uh, G.W. Bailey as the, owner, right, of the, yeah. uh, uh, the owner of the condo. Isn't he and in a few of his videos? Or just that one? As far as I know, he's only in that one. Oh. So it's, it's G.W. Bailey and the, the girlfriend, his girlfriend at the time, Cynthia Rhodes, who we ended up marrying much later. And then divorcing. Was, was a, and, and divorcing much later, was the singer who... Um, was was trying to make it and he was sort of the guy living in the apartment complex uh watching her try to make it and and, and i think if i remember gw bailey's like all over her well and, he and, he's and, like doing the prowler yeah. he's got like he's like his eyes are above the windowsill I remember it was a great video and and it had joe walsh from the eagles on it on the the, the, the guitar solo i'm like wow this is a really good song and i was i was i remember telling my friends hey this is a great song by this guy richard marks <laughs> But it took off, and it ended up becoming a huge hit, and it launched his career, and he had quite a quite a number of years out of it, out of that. But '88 was his year, right? That's when he yeah, had right here album, waiting. And... That album took off. Well, he had a, he had another big hit that year with uh, "Should Have Known Better." That was a huge hit, and then he and then '88 he had the the two ballads that that were huge hits, and um, and then '89 was really his year. If you want to look at well, what's it, the big uh, single from '89 from him? Oh, that's uh, "Right Here Waiting." Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's his. That's his big one. Yeah, that was his peak. But those two albums, those first two albums, were were both very big. But shout out yeah, to I Richard Marks, Richard Marks, and Daisy Fuentes both. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. So thank you. And, and if you happen to be listening, you know we. We here at the show, we, 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 this is not in jest. We, we, we both really admire your work. And we love the fact that you don't take shit from anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Huey Lewis had Hip to Be Square in 87, uh, which obviously is a huge uh, song. But he also had a song that called Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, which and that I, was the number one hit. I, I don't remember Jacob's Ladder. What's That's that? That's actually written by um, uh, Bruce Hornsby. I don't remember that song. What's that? Well, uh, it goes like step by step, wrong by wrong. Yeah, I don't remember that. Well, that album was huge. That was that was his follow up to Sports was Four, which came out in '86, and these were still the singles coming off of Four. Did he? So when he, what's the difference between Huey Lewis and Huey Lewis on the News? Did he ever record as Huey Lewis? No, he's always been Huey Lewis. He had that duet with um, uh, uh, what's her name? Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, well that's for uh, a movie. Yeah. yeah, but other than that, he's been Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. So that yeah, hip to be square. I remember that was huge. That year, he was he was still all over the place. Yeah, he was still a big act. You know, I, I have a friend who I was talking to over the weekend. He's he's even more into charts and music than I am. And I was talking to him, and we were talking because I told him that we were. He must be really pissed because he always has to go backwards. He can't go <laughs> forward. Well, we were talking about 
um, this year in, in music, and I was told him we were going to probably do a podcast in 87. And we ended up getting into a, a talk about 80, 86 was the year that all the acts that had huge albums in 83 and 84, including Huey Lewis and the News, including Lionel Richie, all these major acts that had the big albums, they had the follow-ups to those albums. That was the big thing of 86. And those, those singles kept going into 87. Right. So 87 sort of started off as the year that all those major acts were sort of carrying, were, were, were sort of going off those albums, those, those really big Christmas season of 86 albums. And Huey Lewis is one of those acts. So just to show the diversity of the year, I mean, we talked about George Michael and Richard Marks and Huey Lewis and U2 and Genesis and uh, Whitney Houston. Fleetwood Mac was was still oh, relevant. Oh, Fleetwood Mac had a dump that uh, uh, Big Love was one yeah. of the huge hits of the the spring of '86. That, I mean, is, that, that, is that when Lindsey Buckingham was going crazy? Yeah. <laughs> well, he left the band not long after, but. You had a Tango in the Night was a big album for Fleetwood Mac in '87. You had a lot of singles coming off that album. Little Lies. Yes. That was that's one of those songs that towards the end of the year really stands out for me. And of course, I, I, okay, so I, and I saved the, the the probably one of the bigger landmarks of the year, August 31st, the release of Michael Jackson's Bad. Oh yeah, that was a huge. I mean. Talk about a highly anticipated album. That was um, you know, the follow-up to what at that point had been the biggest selling album of all time. So the expectations were huge. And in the summer of that year, the big single, or one, of the, one big single that was released was I Just Can't Stop Loving You with Saida, his duet with Saida Garrett, which was sort of like a weird low-key release to the album that just came out of nowhere. It didn't have a video, it just came out. And it went up to number one. It was a it was a big hit, and it sort of came and went. And then the singles, then then bad sort of came out, and then the, and and then then you you started having the the single releases from the album that everybody knows. But that was. Do, a, do you remember when the video premiered? Were you were you like because they premiered it like on MTV yeah. like every hour? To tell you the truth, I wasn't that much into Michael Jackson at that point, so I didn't really pay much attention. But well, I remember I, I hated him. I remember. They would have that video when they first premiered it. They actually played the whole video, so I knew that if that came on, if I saw those first few, the the, the beginning to the video that was directed by Martin Scorsese, I With knew Wesley Snipes pre pre tax yeah, evasion. Yeah. I knew that that video was going to occupy the next half hour of MTV. Right. So I I knew that I just would turn the channel. But then they, and then they said, "Well, fuck you, Martin Scorsese." And then they well, cut they, it, they, and yeah. then it's like, then "You ain't bad, you ain't nothing." Yeah. Dum, 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 Once dum. the single kind of reached its peak, they they just showed the trimmed down version. But when that first premiered, they they showed the whole half hour version. So what what is your uh, what is your uh, current assessment of the of the of the album? Oh, I, I I've grown to really like it. I, I like that a lot. I mean, I. I I got. It's funny. I wasn't much into him at that point, but I got in. I got. Well, into what him. are the other singles from there? Uh, Bad had, had had had. It was a huge album. You had you had. I just can't stop loving you. Bad. Um, the way you make me feel was late late in '87. That was a big hit. Um, Man in the Mirror was a huge hit in '88. 
That's actually the song where I started kind of getting one over to the album. Was that um, Smooth Criminal? Then later, well, then it was um, Dirty Diana. Um, then it was uh, Another Part of Me. And then it was Smooth Criminal. So at the singles from that album, that album came out, you said August 31st, 87. The singles from that album, that album kept going until 89. That's how big it was. And then, remember the time was, was that's, what? That's, that's Dangerous, which was the next oh, okay. album. What year is that? Uh, 91. Well, okay. well, Remember the Time was actually a single in 92, but the, the album was 91. You know, not a whole lot was happening actually uh, in in rap and hip hop in '87. That you know, really, it was kind of like you know, Run DMC and and the Beastie Boys were just kind of starting, and they were kind of the pioneers. Raising Hell came out in '86, and that was a triple platinum album. That was a huge, huge album. And I remember in early '87 turning on MTV, and they frequently showed that video. Um, uh, the one with uh, Penn and Teller, um, uh, it's tricky. Oh, yeah. that was like all over MTV. So that was really the beginning what, of what year was their 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 collaboration with Aerosmith? What year was that? That was '86 going into '87. Yeah. Okay, '87 is the year that Aerosmith became a, a big band again, a major factor. With what what song? Well, permanent vacation and uh, dude looks like a lady. Oh, oh, that's eighty-seven. Wow, that's eighty-seven. Actually, that was the year of Geffen Records because Geffen Records had Aerosmith, and they all said Guns and Roses. But Guns and Roses came out in the summer of eighty-seven with Appetite for Destruction. But that album didn't really that that was what you call a slow builder. Like it didn't right. really it kind of flopped when it was initially released. And I remember. In 87, in the summer, the Headbangers Ball would play Welcome to the Jungle, but not that much. It was kind of just like, it was bubbling under, and that album took off later in the year, and then became a monster album in, in 88. So what, uh, what were some other uh, uh, noteworthy uh, metal singles or albums? That well, let's just say there was one of the biggest of all the metal albums was released that year was Def Leppard had their follow-up to Pyromania with Hysteria. That was basically women came out like in the late summer of 87. Was that the first single? That was the first single, yeah. What? And, That's the summer of 87? Mm-hmm. So what, when Pour Some Sugar on Me? That was 88. Up? Yeah, I feel like, because that album, that well, album when it was releasing singles for like, for that's like two another years. Album that, that was like the Michael Jackson where it came out I, I don't remember the release date, but I know it had to be like August or September of 87. That's an album that kept going all the way to 89 that was releasing so many singles. Yeah, that was nuts. They, they released a whole so you're album? Basically, you're basically talking almost two years they, that, that, that album was a major factor. What did you think of Def Leppard at the time? Um, I wasn't much into them. I didn't pay. Yeah. I actually, you know what? I liked Hysteria, the single Hysteria, but I wouldn't. I, 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 I didn't pay much attention to them. I really didn't. I didn't get into them until much later, and then when I did get into them, I kind of said, Hysteria is the. If, if they broke it up after Hysteria, that would have been fine. Well, I, I mean, I like Pyromania. Yeah, Pyromania is great, and and High and Dry is great. 
But yeah, I, didn't I, get I like those. I didn't get into the well. I always like photograph. I, I like photograph as a photograph kid. Photograph the out the video where Joe Elliott has a big sword. Uh, I think that's um, uh, bringing on the heartbreak. One of those. Well, yeah, I I felt like that band was not the band that you know pour some sugar on me and all that right. other shit. I still like Hysteria, and I went back and and and, and I, I I got it. I got the the what was it the twentieth anniversary edition or whatever it was the deluxe edition, and I got into I got into the album and I enjoyed the album, but I do think that's their last hurrah. I mean, I. I really haven't heard stuff from them after that. I thought the the follow up, which was they waited till '92 to come up with the follow up. I thought that was terrible. That album. What was the fo- what was that? I forgot the name of the album, but it was uh, like something like a play on like yeah, hysteria. Yeah, right? it, it had almost the same cover. It had yeah, and and, and, and then the oh, adrenalize adrenalize, and then the single was uh, let's get rocked. Was the first, and that was terrible. Yeah, no thank then, you. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> that, that I was, don't want to get rocked. That was abysmal. Yeah. But and and then they never really to me. Well, how know. about uh well how about what what were some fringe acts that came oh, that were that were that, that popped up in eighty seven. Eighty seven was eighty seven was that Skid Row yet? No, it, it, no that Skid, was there was no right? Skid Row. Yeah, eighty nine. Um Metal had a lot of stuff going in '87 because you had Cinderella was still 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 cashing in on Night Songs, Nobody's Fool, and all that stuff. You know, they, they, Cinderella Night Songs was, still, was before Long Cold Winter, right? Yeah, Night Songs was '86. Okay. That was one of the big albums. What year's Long Cold Winter? '88. So you had that. Um, Judas Priest. Well, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden had albums in '86, the Turbo and, and for Judas Priest and, and um, um, uh, Seven Somewhere in Time oh. was 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 '86. You had '87. Um, well, interestingly enough, and this is sort of on the fringes of things, you had Black Sabbath with um, um, and, and 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 I had that. I bought that album when it came out. The Eternal Idol, which actually flopped, but it was kind of... I didn't even heard of that. Yeah. They, they had Tony Martin as their lead singer. As their lead singer. And and that album... That album came out late in 87. That actually was their last album for Warner Brothers, which was the label they had been on since 1970. Uh, Dio had uh, Sacred Heart. So you had... Metal was very busy in 87. What about the Bullet Boys? They were They were later... Oh, because I remember every comic book that I bought that had the advertisement for the Bullet Boys. Yeah, yeah, that was that was early in '89. Oh. Um. What else? You had in '87. Oh no, that was later. Um, uh, I was thinking of Lita Ford, but um, that that was '87. You had uh, you had the group, a lot of groups like Anvil released albums and, and, and what about forth. like oh, Anthrax had um, um, oh Cry for the Indians was yeah, that, yeah that, that yeah. was from that that album yeah 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 so wow like that was a just a massively diverse year in music oh absolutely absolutely what what's Robbie Neville doing now. No idea. Nothing. 
He's back on holiday. That was actually a single he had later. Back on holiday? <laughs> yeah. Be, being mistaken for uh, uh, Mr. Rhodes? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we alluded to it. Now we're going to transition to uh, movies. You know, a huge, a huge part of, of, of any year in pop culture, but... 1987 was was uh, was was no difference. Uh, dominating the box office, uh, opening November uh, 25th, 1987, with a gross of 167 million seven hundred eighty thousand dollars. Three men and a baby, <laughs> which is an atrocious movie. It is fucking terrible. Uh, they they have some alleged thing where like there's a ghost. Yeah. That's the only reason to watch the movie. It turns out to be it's just a a cutout of a promo thing that a prop guy forgot to to take away. Number two, Fatal Attraction. Three, Beverly Hills Cop. Two, four, Good Morning Vietnam. Five, Moonstruck. Six, The Untouchables. Uh, which is really catapulted uh, Kevin Costner into stardom. I think Sean Connery won Best Supporting Actor. Robert De Niro said that was the final role that he would manipulate his body. Probably the final role where he actually cared. Um, <laughs> yeah, a couple more years of caring, but not that many. Number seven, The Secret of My Success, which 1987, as you, if you were alive in that era, was dominant by Michael J. Fox. And gave us a great Night Ranger song. Yes. Uh, which we, yeah. Uh, seven, eight... Stakeout with Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfus, which is a movie that, I, if you've never heard of this, that's fine. But I remember going to the video store, seeing this movie, and saying, like, I, I don't want to fucking want to see this movie. That's one of those big hits. That was a big movie in that time. And it's one of those weird movies where it's a big hit that's, like, totally forgotten. It's, like, totally for, to, it, it, it doesn't, it's like it doesn't, it never existed. Did you, okay, so, like, backtracking a little bit. Did you get wrapped up, caught up in the uh, three men and a baby phenomenon? Never saw it. You never seen it. I still haven't you know seen what? it to this day. I don't know if I've actually seen it. I should tell you the truth. I, you know what's funny? My father and I were gonna go see it because we used to go see a lot of movies at that time, and it was sold out. So we ended up seeing something else. So maybe this will jog your memory. So I'll continue the list of the top box office of of '87. Um, number nine, Lethal Weapon, which I'm surprised it's that low. Number ten, Witches of Eastwick. Number eleven, Dirty Dancing, which rounded out at sixty-three million four hundred forty-six thousand. Uh, number twelve, my personal favorite, Predator. <laughs> but I remember that summer was the summer of the Al movies. You had La- you had one weekend where you had La Bamba. The, Li- the Living Daylights and Lost Boys. <laughs> all, I think it all opened the same weekend. Um, and I remember... And I saw all of them. Yeah, I saw all of them in the theater. I think, I, I mean, I love, I love them all. I love the Lost Boys. That was a fun summer for movies, I'll tell you that. A lot, a lot of not-so-big hits, but, the, but movies that were really good. So let's circle back to uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. That was... Uh, was that... Uh, 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 Martin Bress was the no, director. Uh, Martin Bress did the first one, but he but uh, 
the, the sequel was actually Tony Scott. Tony, okay, Tony Scott, okay. I actually just watched those movies, the first two back to back this weekend, just for the heck. Which one is the banana in the in the muffler? Well, the first one uses that more. I think they use that gimmick. Again. They use it again. Yeah. The sequel is is very good. I, I enjoy the sequel. I, I think that's one. So this sequel. weekend, are you going to do three? No, I'm going to sit down now. <laughs> Uh, they use the banana and the muffler in three? I, no, well, they probably did. Right. I, I, I don't remember this three very well. But I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed those. They're, they're fun movies. The second one, you can kind of see the franchise. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of, let's, let's try the same gimmicks that were in the first one again. What's the, what's the, the, the year difference? Well, the first one's eighty four, and the second one's eighty seven. Okay. Probably about a two and a half year difference. And by then, so Eddie Murphy was a huge star yeah. in 87. Uh, he also had Eddie Murphy Raw. Yeah. So, two movies that are huge hits in the same year. Oh, he, 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 was, he was at his, his career peak right there. So, the, the fact, so now that you, you saw them recently, uh, do they hold up? Yes, I would say so. And what I liked, and I think I had told you this before, is movies now everything has to be like, even if it's a comedy it has to be like two and a half hours right what's great about those movies is they're like an hour and 40 minutes so, so what what brings him so he's a cop in detroit and i understand him by weird habitats he has to go to beverly hills what brings him back in the second one uh because um ronnie cox's character okay gets, no more. gets, gets <laughs> shot <laughs> so he wants to solve the murder so i mean not Murder, but he wants to solve whoever shot him. 1987 also had, uh, I think, one of your favorite movies, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream mm. Warriors, which uh, gave My us... My favorite of all the... the which Nightmare gave Nightmare us uh, uh, probably one of the greatest songs of all time. Yeah, Doc and uh, Dream Warriors, yes. Actually, Doc and had a big album in 87. What's, what, what was that? Uh, you know, but, I mean, that's the single... Right. That was a single, but that's on that album. But the album came out later in the year. Uh, that album also has Heaven Sent and so forth. I, I'm blanking out on the title right now. But that was their career peak. So here, okay. So you had Nightmare on Elm Street three. Uh, probably the 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 two landmark movies that are, um, you know, in quotes uh, important. Uh, or, or at least the things that people would remember in cinematic history are Raising Arizona, Wall Street, and Full Metal Jacket, which I, oh, I think yeah. those those three probably still stand the test of time. Certainly, Full Metal Jacket and and uh, Raising Arizona. But the year of 1987, which is very unique in the sense that, other than those, other than Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Full Metal Jacket and Raising Arizona and, and Wall Street. Okay, I'm going to give you a list of, of their other big hits of that year. <laughs> Mannequin. <laughs> Summer School. Like Father, Like Son. Adventures in Babysitting. Can't Buy Me Love. Police Academy 4. Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> Ernest Goes to Camp. Disorderlies. Ishtar. Well, I don't know if that's a hit, but it came out that year. Uh, Ishtar made a lot of money, but it, it was can't so buy me love. Yeah, those are a lot of comedies. Yeah, and and well, eighty seven was comedy heavy. Yes. And when we get into TV, you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll kind of dissect like how it seemed like uh, my 
I mean, I don't have a, 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 a anthropology degree, but it, the country was ready to laugh. It seemed that that that's a lot of comedies that are that are. Well, just think hits. when you have um, you have the Iran Contra scandal occupying your TV all the time. You want to go to the movies and get some a and see Andrew McCarthy make yeah, love to yeah. a, a mannequin. To a mannequin. I remember Mannequin and um, Police Academy Four came out around the same time. I don't know if they were released the same weekend, but they were out around the same period. And I remember in my Sunday school group. We did a vote, uh, uh, which one we were going to go see, and and I actually lobbied for Police Academy Four because I didn't want to see Mannequin, and 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 I won. So we we saw Matt, we saw Police Academy Four in the theater. I get them so confused. Uh, Citizens on Patrol is <laughs> is that the introduction of Bobcat? No, he's three, right? He's from no, he goes back to two. Oh. Also that year, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. That's right, which gave us a really good 38 special song. Yes. See, that? yeah, it's just a bizarre... Like, that's a lot of comedies in one year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the year also gave us uh, not non-comedies. Uh, as I mentioned, well, I don't know if Ishtar's a comedy. Jaws 4, The Revenge, and Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. Yeah. <laughs> which one's that? Uh, that's the one. No, yeah, that that he goes to um, Los Angeles and fights drug dealers. Just arbitrarily. I think one of his family members is raped. At that point, it's probably like his granddaughter that gets him into going after the drug dealers. So, you, did you ever watch Mannequin? Oh yeah, I've seen Mannequin since. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, he fucks a mannequin. Well, it turns out to be Kim Cattrall. Yeah, who was really hot back in those days. <laughs> But that that is a bizarre uh, lineup of of uh, box office from Beverly Hills Cop two to Three Men and a Baby to Predator, yeah, Lethal Weapon. Again, Lethal Weapon is the ninth highest grossing movie of that year. It, it seems bizarre to me. You know what's weird? And I saw Lethal Weapon in the theater. I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is the most amazing movie. <laughs> I was like, blown I said that about Predator. I was blown away by Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon was a hit, but it wasn't a huge hit. It ended up becoming a big hit on videotape after it was out, and then Lethal Weapon 2 is what took it over the 100 uh, million mark. So Lethal Weapon 2 is a higher... Much bigger movie. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you see Like Father, Like Son in the theater? Oh. Hmm. I did see uh, Leonard Part 6 in the theater. <laughs> what year is that? 88? 87. Oh, 87? Really? Oh, wow. We're heading on the 30th anniversary. <laughs> we should do a uh, we should do a, a, a like a fight companion type <laughs> watching Lando <laughs> Part Six. Um, yeah, but a very eclect, just like the music, very eclectic group of of, uh, of offerings of, of that year. But again, may, maybe that kind of is telling of where we were as, as a culture and, a, and a, as a as a society. Hellraiser also came out in 1987. Yes, that's right. Later in the year, um, as I mentioned, Eddie Murphy's Raw, uh, RoboCop also came out in '87. That was, yeah, that was a big one. With the Running Man came out in '87. <laughs> I saw that in the theater. Uh, so now we are going to transition to um, what's been what was going on in the small screen, television. 
which was dominant, as I mentioned, uh, you know, if you listen to episode or, or, or part one, NBC was the juggernaut of TV. Um, the Cosby Show had a 26.8 in the ratings, which was monstrous. Number two, A Different World, 25.6. Number three, Cheers, 23.4. Number four, Golden Girls, 21.8. Uh, and then NBC relinquishes its stronghold to ABC. Number five, it's Growing Pains with a 21.3. Number six, Who's the Boss, 21.2. ABC. Uh, and then NBC slips back in with Night Court with 20.8. Night Court is a show that, like, I, 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 I think if I didn't live through it, I wouldn't, I, I probably wouldn't believe anybody. Yeah, it's funny. It's that, a complete, it existed. It's a, it was a big sitcom. It had a nice run, but it's, like, forgotten now. Yeah, big time. Yeah. I mean, and, my yeah. Marshall Warfield jokes are kind of ruined. I, and, and the funny thing is, that was kind of like the cult show of all... That, that was the show that people who didn't watch the other shows that were part of the, the must-see TV, they watched Night Court. Because it, it was on a little later, right? Yeah, it was sort of like, like the, 9, the, edgier, yeah. the edgier of the shows. Yeah. What was the older lady before Marshall Warfield? Oh, Selma Diamond from, <laughs> from, from, from Too Close for Comfort. Wow. <laughs> number eight, 60 Minutes. Number nine, Murdy Shiro. And number 10, everyone's favorite. This podcast's personal favorite TV show, ALF, with an 18.8 rating. Wow, Dallas was out of the top 10 at that point. Yeah, man. Dallas was up there, but it, Dallas was 22. Okay, because Dallas... Dallas, I used to watch Dallas all the time. And there was a year before that was the whole Bobby in the shower thing. And that, that was... Well, the they, dream. They killed, yeah. off, they killed off Bob, the, the Bobby character. And that was when the show was still the number one show on TV. That was a huge... That was number one for, for a long time. What year was that? That was um, 85, right? 85 was when they killed him off, yeah. I think that was like the last hurrah at being the number one show. That was when it was like it was like neck and neck with Dynasty, but I thought it's it, it it stayed in the top ten for a little while after that. But the, obviously the dream sequence did untold damage to the show and it began its fall. It was uh, yeah, so it ended the year uh, at twenty two. Mm -hmm. But um, so here's here's some other shows. You had Amen, Family Ties was number seventeen, My Two Dads, Valerie's Family. Uh, head of the class. Um, Hunter was twenty nine. So Hunter and Dallas are really the only like edgy dramas that really cracked the top thirty. Yeah. And again, like what we're talking about, and you know the 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 film box office, a lot of comedy. People were fucking laughing a lot in 87, I guess. <laughs> they were laughing and gyrating to a good time. Richard Marks and, and George Michael, I guess. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. So I was a huge fan of The Cosby Show and a huge fan of A Different World at the time. I didn't give two shits about Cheers, though. I, I Do you know, to this day, I've never seen an episode of Cheers. I don't know if I, I may have seen a few, but like just by accident. Yeah, I've never you ever, watched it. You ever go in? No. 
Yeah, I never stepped. I never stepped foot in that place. I, I never was into. Oh, you know what? When Cheers first premiered, back we're going back, way back to '82. I remember one night I was watching TV and it was like one of the first episodes there, and I'm like, "What the hell's this show?" And I actually did watch it for a while, and then I got bored and turned the channel. Um, and I've never seen it since. Yeah, I just felt like it was all. It was that kind of systematic kind of like rudimentary someone comes comedy. in the bar and everyone greets them and yeah they, they have a joke about what happened their day i don't know and i didn't really i mean i i'm nothing against ted danson the actor but his character just seemed like just really pompous like why why would i care about him working <laughs> in a bar yeah um growing pains i, I was a huge fan of yeah, Growing Pains is a big hit. Then you had, a, again, so you had to let these outliers. My two dads. Well, <laughs> I mean, think about how that version would be different in 2017. I thought Stacey Keenan was going to be a big actress that would have a lot of staying power. She kind of did. She did My Two Dads, and then she did, uh, um, what's the show? The Patrick Duffy there in, in, in the 90s. Oh, um. Um. Uh, um <coughs> step by Step? Step by step. She was on that. And that was pretty much it. You never heard of her again. She vanished after that. Then there's Alf. Yeah. Alf was one of the, 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 the big breakout shows of 86. How long did it last? How many seasons? Four years. Four seasons. Have you heard? Like There there was some crazy shit that happened in Alf. So the guy who wrote it was like... <laughs> the guy who wrote it was nuts. Yeah, he was, and he was constantly on cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, again, so Family Ties was kind of running out of gas at that point, right? That was 17. Yeah, that went on a couple more, like two more years. But, yeah, it was... But, it was, but 87, with Michael J. Fox was still like the man, right? Well, he was already becoming a, a box... He, for a while, it's, it's easy to forget... But for a while, he was actually a box office, a movie star, and he was still doing that show. Well, 86 was Future. his... He had Back to the Future. And he had and 85, Teen, right? And, 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 85, and then he had Teen Wolf. That was also 85 or 86? 87, I think. 86, no, 86. Yeah, 86. Yeah. And then he had The Secret of My Success. So That's he right. Had, so, yeah, he had a, a big run at the box office, and he's still doing a TV show. What what was that that song that you that you told me about the other day? Like that that it was an old song, but like resurfaced in '87. That was from it was from, from like oh, a, the prom episode. Yeah, B Billy Veer and the Beaters at this moment yeah. became a huge hit because of that. It was like a song that was out like ten years earlier, and it was used in an episode of Family Ties. And Family Ties at that point was such a big show that it turned that song into a number one hit in '87. You, and who's the boss in '87? Was that uh, was that the the apex or was that going? No, that show stayed pretty big for a couple more years. I mean, yeah, I, I mean it had already been on for a while, but it was starting to it, it was starting to run its course, but it still it still held on. So. Hmm. So there you have it. Like I said, a lot of, a lot of NBC comedies, uh, you know, of, you know, CBS eked out like Murder, She Wrote and 60 Minutes in the, in the top 10, which were non-comedies. 
Um, any any other thoughts about uh, about TV in '87? I mean, that was like a golden age of TV. Oh, you know what I liked? Actually, there that was the year I actually was starting to really enjoy the syndicated shows. There were a lot of syn syndication was sort of taking off in that period. So there were a lot of good syndicated shows. And what I mean by syndicated shows is they were shows that weren't on the network, that were just on. They were sort of, you'd catch them on like Saturday afternoon at like five o'clock or something. And they were just shown by like local channels. And you had a lot of stuff like, like um, Check It Out. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, What's that? Check It Out was with, uh, what's his name? I can't believe, I can't, I'm blanking out on his name. Uh, it was a Canadian like show about a supermarket. It was like a sitcom about a supermarket. <laughs> you had Starting from Scratch, which was the show with um, uh, with the girl who um, the the girl whose father is a a plant that's actually an alien from outer space, and is voiced by Burt Reynolds. I'm not making this up. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was that that was that show. You had um, it's your move. No, It's Your Move was actually a network show. Oh. But you had, you had a lot of like syndicated, oh, um, What a Country was a syndicated show. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was 87? With Yakov Smirnov. I think that was more 86. What about like Learning the Ropes and all that stuff? That came later, but that was oh. syndicated. Yeah, like syndicated starting from scratch with, um, with the guy from Newhart as the, uh, as the veterinarian with the, the family. Like, like you had a lot of these like sitcoms that, oh, um, uh, 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 Harry Morgan from MASH, um, the, who was Colonel Potter, was, uh, was the grandfather on one show, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, uh, You Can't Take It With You, that was a syndicated show that I used to watch around that time. <laughs> Well, you can't take it with you. It's about a play about a guy dying. It actually was about that play, but it made it more. Every convenient. every episode was that he was gonna die. No, it it took the play and made it lighthearted, but did cut out the death aspect. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. They syndicated syndicated TV really blasted off in like that eighty six period, eighty six eighty seven period. When did Baywatch uh, premiere? Baywatch was was on in 89 as an NBC show. Then it was canceled. Then it sort of reemerged as a syndicated show in like 92. And then, then it became a monster. Right, okay. It, it, that became like the backbone of the syndicated shows. I kind of like the syndicated shows. I would usually watch a show if it was syndicated. Because you just had a lot of like... They weren't cliched shows. They were, I mean, some of them were terrible. But they were terrible in an interesting way. Like, oh, Small Wonder was another syndication. Oh, yeah. So you had Small Wonder. You had, um, uh, oh, yeah, Learning the Ropes came later. So you just had a lot of these, these like, weird offbeat shows. Yeah, and offbeat times. And I think that's well, what yeah, kind it of could expanding. Be, yeah, you would just be in the weekend. You would turn at, like, 6.30 and the show would be on. I would not be. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Uh, I'm sure certain listeners have been pacing back and forth, waiting for me to drop this nugget. And here it is: in 1987, at the Pontiac Silverdome, 
90,000 <laughs> all-time indoor attendance record. That's right, WrestleMania 3. That's right, WrestleMania 3 was a big one. Did that change your life? <laughs> yeah, I saw it at the Providence Civic Center on closed circuit. Wow, yeah. closed circuit. Yeah. Can you explain for people, for, for our young listeners who have, probably have no idea what that concept is? <laughs> well, back in those days, there was no pay-per-view. Well, pay-per-view was just starting to take off, but most people actually didn't get pay-per-view. So you would just go to the local arena and they would show it on closed circuit. They would show, they would have a big screen set up and you would just watch the event. And you, so you would watch a screen? Yeah. You with with a, a bunch of people? They did that for, um, 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 they did that for uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler. They right. Which is actually a good, very good segue. Um, so in, in the world of, uh, of, of, I mean, I'm not going to get into uh, baseball and football and shit like that because... You know, we're, this is a mutual podcast, and, and we're, we're going to talk about things that Jason and I mutually are into. Um, so, in, in the world of wrestling, it was WrestleMania three, which you know set the all-time indoor uh, attendance record. In the world of boxing, uh, Mike Tyson unified the world heavyweight title uh, against Bone Crusher Smith, and I remember that day. I guess he fought him on a Saturday, and I remember that Friday we had a substitute teacher, and he was a a young black man, I guess, starting his career, and he was talking to me and my friends. He's like, oh, I don't know, I think Bone Crusher's gonna he's gonna knock him out. I'm like, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> what, what are you gonna be a substitute teacher for the rest of your life? Bone Crusher Smith is forty seven years old. He is he can't do anything. He hugged his yeah he yeah, he actually he hugged him, and I guess he it was a good strategy. Um, that was uh, March 7th, March 9th. Tommy uh, Hitman Hearns becomes the ninth boxer in history to win the to win world titles in three divisions uh, when he defeated WBC lightweight champion uh, Dennis Andres. Uh, again, not that uh, noteworthy other than Don King's heavyweight tournament when Tony Tucker beat Bus Douglas and then Tyson defeated Tony Tucker. Um... Tony Tucker sounds like a a, 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 a backup singer to Gerald Levert. Uh, again, the big noteworthy event uh, in boxing was, uh, you know, Ray Leonard came off a, a three-and-a-half-year hiatus and, and beat uh, Marvelous Marvin Hager in a controversial decision. I remember at the time, I was very heartbroken. Uh, Marvin Hagler uh, was and probably still is one of my greatest, one of my favorite athletes of all time. Uh, I didn't feel like he Ray Leonard won that fight. I was devastated. Have you seen that fight? Oh, I watched it. Yeah, I, I I didn't watch it live. I watched it the week after when it was shown on HBO on regular HBO, and then I watched it. and And the funny thing is, I think at the time I had I, I I had Sugar Ray winning by a round. I just think he did more. And then not too long ago, I rewatched the fight, now knowing a lot more about boxing and how to score. And I still had Ray Leonard winning, but by basically a round. But I think that it's kind of unique that uh, Hagler said he was done, and he was done. He never came back. Well, I read a book about that fight, and apparently Hagler was doing a lot of cocaine. At the time? Yeah. Wow. He, he got really... You know, he was known for a clean living guy and apparently he got into the he, he got caught up in that and, and 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 it makes sense because if you see him in that fight, 
and I liked him too. I, I, I actually was hope I was I, I, I wanted him to win. I, I like it. I, I, I liked him, and he was a great champion. But he seems a bit lethargic. Like it's not that Sugar Ray won the fight; it's that he didn't do enough to win. Right. I, I would agree with that. He, Ray Leonard was definitely more active. He didn't do enough. He just didn't do anything in the fight to win. He just didn't have that killer instinct. And that would make sense if he was doing cocaine or something that threw him off his, his, his game. Because if he had been just the guy he was two, even two years earlier, he would have won no problem. And the funny thing is, he could have had a rematch that would have been a huge money fight. Right. That, that, that fight, if they had had a rematch to that fight, it would have been, it would have been if they, in like the summer of 88... It would have been a huge. It would have been bigger than the first fight, and they just never did it. He walked away. Yeah, he said he was retired, and that yeah, was it. And, and I think there were a few months where there was speculation. Oh, maybe he'll, he'll do it. No, he didn't do it. No. And so Leonard, he went on to fight Terry Norris, right? And then he lost. Yeah, to Terry he got Norris. he got beat bad. He hung in there for a while, though. He had some. He, he made some money off that win. Uh, well, f- flipping back to, to wrestling, uh, the the only uh, really noteworthy events of '87 were the in Starcade, Ric Flair fought Ronnie Garvin, the Hands of Stone, which I, I, I mean, even as a, even growing up, I thought the, the his his, uh, his character was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He had taped he had taped hands going into a, a wrestling match, and then anyway that that. It enabled Ric Flair to segue to a new feud with uh, uh, your personal mentor, Sting. <laughs> uh, also on the card was... Oh, uh, the Sting fight, the Sting feud, yeah. Dusty Rose versus Lex Luger, which seems ridiculous. Because if you do a simple eye test, there's no way that would even be an athletic competition. Right. But I think Dusty Rose beat him. Uh, that was also the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament. Um... Now, I don't know, in, in your area, were you privy to, uh, at the time, NWA? I did not have NWA until 88, and then I watched NWA. Um, we had AWA. Which actually segued to de- being defunct in 87. Right. So we caught the, I, I caught the tail. So it's Colonel De Beers. When, when, yeah, when Colonel De Beers is around, um, it was actually, uh, uh, what's his name? Rick Martell. He was the champion in 87. Yeah, but he wasn't the champion when I was mostly watching. Stan Hansen. It, no. Uh, what's his name? Who you saw at a buffet table? Uh, Craig DeHammer Valentine? No. Uh, He's dead now. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't narrow it uh. down. <laughs> I have to look it up. I have to go and, and, uh. and actually uh, look that one up. Um, what's his name? You're looking up uh, AWA champion of 87? Yeah. Okay, hang on. He was the champion, and he just lost the title. The period when it, when it was big where I was watching, he had just lost the title. Mm. Of course they're going to go that way. Nick Bockwinkle? Kurt Hennig. Oh. That's what I'm thinking of. Kurt Hennig. I didn't realize Kurt Hennig was that old. Yeah, Kurt Hennig was the champion, and the whole big thing was that he'd lost his title, and and to like yeah, like Nick Nick Bockwinkle or whatever it was, and and that that was the big that was the big storyline angle. 
And of course, fast forward to Kurt Henning, and uh, you know he had that song "Rap Is Crap." Oh yes, much later, yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on 1987? You know, another th- thing we left out—that um, was the year that that Fox took off as the fourth network. It was really '86 that Fox premiered. Oh, where were the children? '87 was when they launched their primetime lineup. They had. I think they, they launched with the Late Show in 86, but they weren't an actual network yet. 87 was when they rolled out that whole Married with I, Married with Children was the only show that became a that lasted, but there were a whole bunch of shows that were launched, including Mr. President with George C. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that was that was another big thing of 87. So it seems to me that it was definitely a, a uh, it seems so long ago when you compare the culture of then to now. Uh, definitely the, 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 the country seemed to be more, more in, in, in the, more relaxed, more in the mood to, to be uh, open-minded, which is kind of sad considering that's in, in the past. And more, more inclined for other forms of entertainment. Obviously, a lot of comedy, but um, a lot of diversity in, in, in the movies and, yeah. and more so in the music. A lot of diversity. And it was also the year video games really starting to take off to another level. Because you had Legend of Zelda that year. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 87. What was, what, what was the big gaming system in 87? Was that? Well, the Nintendo. That was, uh, so it was like Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yeah, and Mike Tyson's Punch Out. You had a lot of stuff on the Nintendo, so it really was was a, was a good year. It was a good year to be that age. Uh, well, given like everything, so from you know, at Iran Contra hearings to Richard Marks to Whitney Houston to Ray Leonard to Beverly Hills Cop Two. Well, any 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 final thoughts on 1987? It was just a good year, one of my favorite years. A lot of fun that year. I agree. I agree. And I will always remember 1987, uh, being in the theater watching Predator, having to take a piss. For, and I just held it because I was so intrigued by that movie. And I just <laughs> held it. And I just, I, I, I mean, I never, had, I never had to take a piss more in my life. And I, I know that I could hold a piss now in a, as an adult because I remember having to hold a piss then in Predator. <laughs> I, I realize that's more useless information. Anyway, sweet listeners, thank you for wa- listening to uh, part one and part two. If you haven't listened to part two, I encourage you to go back. Uh, this has been 1987. Uh, I encourage you to share your thoughts about the year for you, regardless of how old you are, where you are in the world, and maybe you experience some other things. Uh, I'm sure there's other things that we didn't cover. Uh, there's so much to get involved. I mean, you're talking about a fucking year on the planet. Uh, you can uh, email the podcast. You can uh, reply to me on Twitter at VandalVT33. Uh, uh, you can also reach out to Jason directly on Facebook, uh, Jason Simons, not Simmons. How dare you? Uh, and that's it, 1987. It was a great year. And uh, let's hopefully get back to some of that in terms of entertainment. Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Thank you so much for listening.